I'm Austin. And I'm Joe from PopXCast. A podcast member of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. And get ready because geekiness begins in... Three. Two. One. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. Today, we're going to be discussing a lot of topics here. The main topics are going to be about the meta of Standard and discussing some interesting card leaks for Commander 2017 and Hour of Devastation. Um, Normally, I'm not really interested in talking about spoilers, but especially for some of these Hour of of Devastation cards. There you go. Hey, Zuby, you can talk, right? No, apparently I can't. Um, Hour of Devastation actually got me a little bit excited to see more of the set. And yeah, so we're going to talk about it because it's my show. I, I, I talk about what I want and do what I want. All right. So before we begin, as usual, let's roll that clip. Jazzy, what does the calculator say about the shipping costs? It's over $9! What? $9? There's no way that could be right! At LegitMTG.com, we don't charge shipping for any order over $2 or more. We're not like those other guys who make you spend an arm and a leg to get free shipping. Come on down to LegitMTG.com for all your magic needs and be sure to get that free shipping special. That's LegitMTG.com. Visit today. So your father's a nerd. Unfortunately, there's no player's guide to raising a family. But this podcast is meant to be a family's guide to nerdism. Join us, Alec and Zuby, as we go in depth as to what it's like to raising a family of nerdlings and the adventures and hardships of fatherhood. We dive deep into our favorite nerd topics and talk to you about how it's related to raising a family. You can find So Your Father's a Nerd on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Man, I wish there were others who liked retro video games like me. Did I hear someone say retro video games? I heard it too, Matt. Well... If you're a fan of retro video games as well as gaming in general, you need to listen to the VCR Gaming Podcast. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Oh god, my house! Alright, so before we get into anything here... Let's talk about something a little non-magic related, even though there is some magic involved, mainly spellcasting. And that's part of what you're doing as when you're playing Magic the Gathering. You're casting spells. So anyways, anyways, um, I have really, really been getting into Dungeons & Dragons lately. And this isn't to say I'm going to do a D&D with Zuby, even though that'd be pretty fun. But I wouldn't want to just talk about just D&D though just pen and paper RPGs in general but if you've heard my other podcast so your father's a nerd with uh, Alec who has been on the show many many times and can't wait to have him back on again and we had a whole episode about uh, tabletop RPGs and ever since then you know we I have been working on a homebrew RPG system for well over 10 years and the major contributing factor to not getting it done has been time and it's just been no time whatsoever to work on it it's called Aspartia, which i've mentioned before on the other podcast Cyfan. and yeah so i i've really been getting an itch to play some DD. and what really triggered it was listening to you meet in a tavern which i've played ads for this uh podcast before and they're a group of guys who are doing a live action role playing. Well, not LARP, um, more of a, a recorded play session 
of D&D 5th edition. So I went ahead and got the starter set for my LGS and we've been playing my wife and my oldest and we've been having a hell of a time playing it. It's been so much fun. We're about halfway done with the included campaign. I went ahead and got the player's handbook already and I've been learning on how to create characters. It's, um, you know, I've created two characters so far. I've created Tobrick Iron Fist, a mountain dwarf paladin from the mountains of, I don't know yet. I haven't come up with a history for him yet. And I have no idea what realm I'm going to be playing him. And then I created Cassifus, a half-elf cleric as well. And if I were to choose a god that he worships, it would be Gillian from Dragonlance. And if you heard Saifan, you know that I love Dragonlance. Seriously, the past few months I have read 12 books of Dragonlance and I had to take a break from reading because it's just I was getting consumed and all I wanted to do was nothing but read, literally. So I re read 12 straight books of Dragonlance. I read the, the Chronicles, the Legends, the Fifth Age where it was the Dragons, then Dragons of Summer Flame, the second generation, and I was just about to start the... Um, uh, what do you call it? The War of Souls. If you if you ever read Dragonlance, which, you know, whatever. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about D&D and how much fun it is. And if you have always been a little bit leery of ever trying out, you know, pen and paper RPGs, just go for it. They're a lot of fun. If you enjoy playing video games like RPGs, like Final Fantasy or Elder Scrolls, anything like that, D&D would be something right up your alley. And I implore everyone to check it out. It's become definitely the past few weeks my obsession. Uh, I've been, I can't wait to DM more campaigns of this, even try to create my own campaign. And my biggest hurdle is just learning all the rules and all that because I've DM'd for a lot of years with other homebrew systems. And it's, I don't have a problem with DMing. It's just there's a lot of rules to this and I'm not used to it. Uh, the last time I even played D&D was as a player back, back in 2.5 or what they call Advanced D&D 2nd Edition, I guess they called it. And that was, you know, I was a kid. I was like 10, 11, 12, something like that. And I had to have been 12 or 13, I think. I don't remember. But, um, yeah, I remember just playing it with some friends and it was fun. A lot of fun. I don't remember. I, I made some sort of elf something maybe a no god on here i don't even remember the classes of second edition dnd but um yeah so like i said i just want to mention that uh talk about it for a little bit just just get it off my chest because it's like it, i've been kind of obsessed with it and i plan on buying all the books and my lgs does have dnd nights which my wife and i do want to go and join we just really want to get more comfortable creating characters, playing playing the rules. Because, oh man, the, the campaign at first, we were playing completely wrong with how you do attack rolls and damage rolls and initiative and all this other crap. And we're just kind of making it up as we go along. So, yeah. But yeah, just um, it like I mentioned before, if you've never touched D&D, implore you to check it out. So there was a little skit released the other day, and I have got to say, this, and as mean as this may sound, and I know everybody in the community really gives gives these guys a lot of credit, and I do have to say, they do make some well-produced videos, and they seem like a great group of guys, but their videos just always completely fall flat for me, because I don't, I either don't understand the content, the jokes, or, and I've, I've tried to watch almost every single one of them and they're just always not funny. And, and I always really understand, like there's some parts that make me chuckle and they're funny. It's just more of a, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I, I don't understand what's so funny about it. And that is loading ready run. And th those guys, and like I said, I know the community's friggin' obsessed with them. I mean, to me, they're just okay. And they're just, I don't, they're just not funny, but a new skit came out the other day. And I have to say, this has been the funniest piece of magic 
content I have ever seen, and I have devoured a lot of it, okay? Ever since starting Magic with Zuby and doing the hashtag FridayMTG, it's been, I've been devouring MTG content for, you know, past two years. Heck, even when I started really getting into Magic again, back when Return to Rat, or whenever M13 came out, you know, devouring content, but there was, I've never seen a skit as funny as this. And what makes it great is how real it feels. It doesn't feel so forced. It doesn't feel like they're trying to force in their little inside jokes on you and all that. And it was a skit called uh, Mana Screwed. And it was, I can't remember the name of the guy who made it. Um, oh, his name's Austin, Austin Herring. And I really got to give it to him that this was the funniest thing I've ever, I've ever seen. And this, or as, as far as magic related skits go, it was simply hilarious. It's basically, I'm going to, I'm going to link the skit in the show notes and you all just need to watch it. I mean, that's pretty much it. It's just simply freaking hilarious. And it, like I mentioned before, it feels real. And it's very well done. It's very well produced. The script seemed really tight. And the 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 main character, it the guy he was playing against felt like a real person you'd meet in an LGS. And we all know those kind of guys. And I, I don't know. I don't even want to. It's like a six minute video. And I don't even want to spoil it because I want you all to watch it because it's simply hilarious. I'm even going to show this to my non-magic friends who don't give a crap about magic and they'll be able to relate to this. And that's where I feel loading ready run completely fails in that aspect. They're made specifically for magic players. Non-magic players would not find it funny at all. Mana screwed on the other hand, and I really hope they continue going on with this series because I'm gonna, I need more of it. I need more already. And if, See, something like Mana Screwed, I can show to my non-Magic friends and they would probably bust out laughing as well. They they would, you know, they wouldn't understand all the references, but they would find a lot of it funny too. And that's where this series excels at. And I know I'm making this turning out to be a loading ready run versus Mana Screwed type circle jerk here. But like I said, I, I feel this get put them to shame. And I hope these guys continue, keep going on. It's, I, I can't give it enough praise. I loved it. I loved it very much. This program is about unsolved mysteries. Whenever possible, the actual family members and Planeswalker officials have participated in recreating the events. What you're about to listen to is not a news broadcast. Today on the Plane of Tarkir, new discoveries have been found that may shake the foundations of the plane itself. It has always been theorized that Tarkir has not always been as it was, but was possibly ruled by what they call Khans, tribal leaders instead of the great dragon overlords. Perfectly shaped circles showing up overnight in crop fields have been spotted, and the symbols they create could be leaning to something dastardly. Two friends, Elspeth and Johnny, mysteriously vanish on the plane of Theros after stating they are going into Nyx to confront the god Xenagos. What's also strange about this, a common woman on the plane of Dominaria, Jenna Halan, wrote about these same events foretold in her upcoming novel, which is strangely titled, Journey into Nyx, Godsend. And lastly tonight, a heartwarming story of a family reunion between a heartbroken woman and her mother. They had not seen each other since this woman was very young, but the tale of their cathartic reunion is not all happy. A tale of terror and dread awaits us as we dive into it. All this and more on tonight's episode of Planes of Unsolved Mysteries. So let's get on to one of our first main topics here tonight, and that is the meta of Standard. And has it been improving ever since they banned Felidar Guardian? And I would like to say, at least for my mocal local meta, yeah, mocal letta, local meta, there's that dyslexia working there for you, uh, my local meta, it definitely has seemed to improve. Uh, yes, there still are Aetherworks Marvel decks out there, because playing things for free is awesome. But I've been seeing a lot of energy decks, which is fun to see. Um, Mardu Vehicles almost seems to have fallen out of favor in my local meta, just in my local shop. Uh, a lot more control. There's 
mono black zombies, black white zombies, and that would be about the gist of it. Um, and I just have to say, I have been enjoying the new meta as well. And it's been, it's just been a lot of fun. So the one thing I wanted to first talk about was Aetherworks Marvel. And I got to say, as much of a pain in the ass a turn for Ulamog can be, the deck itself doesn't feel unbeatable. When you play against it, you still feel like, hey, you've got a chance. Um, you know, of course, a lot of your sideboard has to be hate towards artifacts or specifically towards Aetherworks Marvel just to stop it. You know, but it doesn't feel like as soon as it lands, oh, great, this is the end of the game now. I mean, it very well potentially could be because turn four Ulumog is not fun at all. And it's, yeah, I mean, there were a few games I was playing just last week where my opponent played, you know, turn four Aetherworks Marvel and he had to spin the Marvel four times till he got an Ulamog, which gave me plenty of time to try and kill him. But unfortunately, the version he was playing, he was playing Teamer, which I think most versions are playing nowadays. And the life gain he was getting from the Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot was just enough to keep him alive and sustain him because I got him down to one point at one time. And then, of course, what does he do? He gets an Ulamog, kills my creatures, and... Yeah, I, he's he um ends up maintaining the game state from there and winning. And well, it wasn't really bad. It was just more like, okay, awesome. I just needed to be able to pump up my guys a little bit more, and I could have won. But um, like I said, it doesn't feel like an unbeatable deck, and I'm glad for that. It still does seem to take up a big chunk of the meta, which right now as I'm looking at MTG Goldfish... On Saturday, June 3rd, it is at 35.77% of the meta. That could possibly change as there is a standard Grand Prix going on right now as I talk. So, as I was saying before, it doesn't feel completely unbeatable. Um, as of right now, just my local meta feels pretty varied, which I'm happy to you know see. Because, as we all knew before, with four-color copycat, even Jeskai copycat... It was just not fun, and it was killing standard. And I think Watsy realized that, That I mean, I've already talked about this in previous episodes, especially that one episode where I talked about the past two years, Wizards, we need to talk because, seriously, it's it does seem to be, at least personally and some of my friends, that play magic we've been a little bit more revitalized to want to play and brew decks i mean there's always going to be the top tier decks and i am loving that there is a control deck in the top tier right now blue red control torrential gear hulk is a monster to deal with and even that deck blue red control there's just so much good control right now it's just it's a pain in the butt to play against. Let's let's just be honest right here. It's a pain in the butt, but it's so good. And um, yeah, uh, I mean, when we look at blue red control, I mean, this is my type of control here, folks. Definitely my type of control. Only four creatures in the deck. Four torrential gear hulks. And we've got. I, I just want to just give off this this deck list right here. That's on MTG Goldfish. We got four torrential gear hulks, which is basically the Snapcaster of the set. We've got four magma spray, which I'm so glad to see that card back. Amonkhet brought it back. Three sensor, which is a pretty crappy mana leak, but it does have cycle. Essence scatter, harness lightning, three negate, one pull from tomorrow, three disallow. Three Sweltering Suns, which is basically Anger of the Gods. It does have Cycling, though. One Void Shatter. Four Glimmer of Genius. Four Hieroglyphic Illumination. Uh, then we've got how many lands? 24 lands, which I'm surprised it's playing 24, but mm, I'd almost want to put 25 lands, maybe? I don't know. What do I know? I'm not like an expert deck builder or anything like that. And the one thing, let's see how many counters it's actually playing. One, there's five there, five, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve counters. 
uh, how many actual kind of kill spells, spot removal. There's four magma spray, four harness lightning, so that's eight. And then 9, 10, 11. Oh, so, I mean, Sweltering Suns is the um, board wipe. And then there's eight cards that allow, or no, nine cards that allow you to draw cards. Man, why am I not playing this? I should be playing Blue Red Control. Oh my gosh, why am I not playing this? Um, uh, how much is Torrential Gear Halt going for right now? It's probably like 30 bucks a pop or some crap. Because it's so good. I've got two of them. One of them's in my cube and one's just hanging around doing nothing. Um, I'm looking up TCG Player right now as we speak. Uh, it's about 20 bucks. I mean, not the greatest. But I could always trade a bunch of crap in. You know? I could do that for show. Because I got everything else. I got everything else in this deck. Why am I not playing Blue Red Control? I love Control. No, no, no. You know what? See, this is my problem. This is what I do. I, I get so excited about playing another deck because the other deck I'm building right now and I'm going to go trade some cards hopefully tomorrow with my buddy and going to do green-black energy because I love walking ballista and I, lo I love counters. Just with Winding Constrictor, walking ballista, Rishgar, Pima, Renegade. Uh, it's very similar to the Jund energy deck I had before Amonkhet came out, but it's just green-black now. And yeah... So, I mean, I, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this to myself where it's like, ooh, I want to build this deck. And then, ooh, that it's, even though I can, I'd only have two Torrential Gear Hulks. I'd have everything else. It would, oh, God, no, I'm not going to spend 40 bucks. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to save my money and get the D&D &D books. Yes, you're listening to me right now. Just talk myself out of it because I need to save the money and not go crazy spending. I don't need to do that, Zuby. You don't need to do that to yourself. All right. Okay. I think we got it. Good. All right. I'm going to stick with green, black energy. Um, okay, great. And then, as always, we've got some Mardu vehicles in the mix. And we all know Mardu vehicles. It's um, basically play cheap creatures, play some vehicles, Heart of Kieran's, and now it looks like some are adding Cultivator's Caravan, which is not a bad card. And, of course, we got good old Gideon. Gideon, Gideon, Gideon. How shall we ever get rid of you? I This is where, at one point, where I kind of wish we had the shorter rotation again. I like that it's only rotating once a year because it helps me fiscally. But, man, Gideon, get out of my life, please. Uh, he's still, he's the most annoying planeswalker to deal with right now and i do love that chandra flamecaller is making a comeback and i mean how great is it i mean is chandra torture defiance is good don't get me wrong she's good i like her she's good you know tremendous bigly all right we got it here i'm doing things with my hands that you can't see as i'm doing it but um chandra flamecaller my favorite chandra lover great great card the best tremendous there's no problem down there believe me okay um so yeah, like I said, we still got Mardu vehicles going on. Um, oh, did I just close out of the freaking deck? Come on. Doing a live show here. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, and then, so those are the top three decks that have more than 10% of the meta, according to Goldfish here. So we got Teamer Aetherworks at 35.77%, Blue Red Control at 11.84%, and Mardu Vehicles at 11.59%, but this may change depending on the Grand Prix that is going on right now as I speak. Um, so I want to take a look at this Teamer Energy deck that's going around too, and it looks pretty much like a regular Energy deck, except it's Teamer instead of Red Green. And it's got Rogue Refiner, which allows you to draw a card when it enters the battlefield, which is really good for energy decks. And then it's also got Whirler Virtuoso as well. And then it's got my all-time favorite dragon right now in standard, the Glorybringer. The Glorybringer coming in at three generic mana and two red with flying haste. And when you exert Glorybringer as it attacks, you may have it deal... Four damage to target non-dragon creature and opponent controls. Freaking sweet, guys. I mean, that is awesome. Really awesome. Um, yeah, best dragon in standard. Non-stop non, non -stop dragons going on. 
Um, Free Jam Regent, watch out. Glorybringer's in town. Okay. Um, then we got Chandra Torch of Defiance, which is, you know, common. But what's also cool about this Teamer Energy deck, it's got Negates, mainboard Negates, which I guess are pretty important nowadays, and Confiscation Coop, which basically allows you to pay your energy to take a hold of something, basically hijack it or active trees in it, but permanently. And yeah, so that's a Teamer Energy deck and seems pretty cool. Um, like I said, standard energy deck, but has blue in it. Um, and then we've got, which I'm surprised, which I'm not really surprised that it doesn't have a higher meta, but I almost was kind of hoping it would. And that's the mono black zombies. And gotta say, I love watching this deck. I have not really played it, but, um, and I don't like playing against it because as zombies are, when you kill them, more keep coming and they keep coming back to life. And a lot of us are already familiar with the zombie deck here, but just to go over it really quick, Crit Breaker, Dread Wanderer, Metallic Mimic to basically be a lord for you, for your zombies, Relentless Dead, Diagraph Colossus, and Lord of the Accursed, another uh, lord. It says it in the title. Um, then Liliana's Death's Majesty, the Liliana Planeswalker, five casting cost but perfect for the zombie deck better than Liliana of, of the last hope and then we got Liliana's mastery too which acts as another lord for the zombies which is great and um yeah it just seems I, I was almost hoping there'd be more of a push for the deck but I mean as the meta dictates you know you gotta kick some stuff out of it and another deck that I wanted to discuss, I mean, there's also the white-black variant of zombies. Some of the white cards enter Wayward Servant, which is when another zombie enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life for a white and a black, a 2-2, which that is not bad. And is that seriously the only white in the main board for this one deck? Holy crap, it is, because their sideboard has Binding Mummy, uh, which... Whenever another zombie enters the battlefield under your control, you may tap target artifact or creature. Uh, then you got Anguish on Making. Uh, then Gideon, of course. And yeah, that's it. So it like splashes white. It's mainly black, but splashes white, and the white is mainly in the sideboard. Interesting. And then, of course, the deck that I'm playing right now, Green Black Energy. And I just want to go over it real quick. We've got four Walking Ballista, which is the new Hangerback Walker of the format. But what makes it better than Hangerback Walker is as soon as you remove the plus one, plus one counters from it, you can deal one damage to Dark Creature or Player. So say you have a 3-3 three, three Walking Ballista and your opponent targets it with the Harness Lightning to kill it. Oh, okay, in response, I'm going to take all three 1-1 one, one counters and either deal three damage to you instead. Or three damage to one of your creatures. Boom, bada bing, bada boom, bam, out the dough. Alright, then we got Green Pelt Rampager, which is my favorite elephant of standard. And it's also my wife's favorite elephants, because she loves elephants. Then we got Glint Sleeve Siphoner, which is our Bob of the format, the Dark Confidant, where he can pay two energy and draw a card and lose one life. Then we got Long Tusk Cub, which has been a staple of energy decks, especially ones that handle green which is most of them. Then Whining Constrictor, the Snake. Rishgar, Pima Renegade, coming in right at you in Bone Picker, which has, is surprisingly good for when something dies, you can just pay one black for a 3-2 Flying Death Touch. Yeah, um, really good. Then Attune with Aether, four Fatal Push, Grasp of Darkness, three Heart of Kieran, which I think I'm only running two in mine because I just don't feel like paying more for it. And then you got your 20 lands, which are pretty common. So yeah, that's the deck that I'm building. I need to get my exact list down. Um, I haven't written it down. I've been lazy. Um, that's, that's just what happens at sometimes. You just get lazy with doing stuff. And it's more because you just don't have time and life just hits you in the face. And you just sort of wonder why, what's going on with your life. And someone's going to find you out one day that you're a fraud and you don't really know what you're doing at all in your job. And then it's just going to be like, Oh, okay. So will I think anything will be banned from standard this time around? No, 
I think with how Aetherworks Marvel is not, even though it is the top deck in the terms of the meta from all the tournaments that have been around, I don't think it's bad enough for it to be banned. We just need to let it play its life cycle. We definitely need to see how it will do after um, Battle for Zendikar rotates out and there's no big Eldrazi that it can get. Yes, it can still cast uh, some big Planeswalkers, and we're going to talk about a particular Planeswalker it may be able to cast for free on turn four, coming right after this, after you know a little special segment that I came up with you all. And June 14th is the next ban and restricted announcement. Um like I said, I don't think they're going to ban anything in standard. I feel like standard is fine where it's at. As far as modern or legacy goes, legacy definitely not. With it banning miracles, that was a big blow to the deck. Modern, honestly, I have not been following the modern meta lately, so I'm not really sure. If I were to just look up uh, MTG Goldfish right now with modern meta, I mean, Grixis Shadow holds 6% of the meta. Uh, Eldrazi Tron, another 6%. Affinity, 6%. I mean, there's nothing that is even in double-digit meta percentage. So I would really have to say no. There's going to be nothing that is gets banned in Modern. I feel like it's fine right now, too. Um, but to be honest, I have not been playing Modern at all lately. I've just only really been focused on Standard, Cube, and some Draft, mainly. Um, which I have not played my cube in a couple weeks here. I've been itching to play it. It's just like a time. And then with us getting hooked on D&D, cube has just sort of been taking a backseat right now. And I really do want to add some more cards to my cube. Maybe about go up to, what, 540 cards? Add another 180 cards to the deck. Or to the cube, I mean. So we'll just see how it goes from there. And like I mentioned before, there's a segment coming up that I feel I will like. Um, it's called uh, a Zuby rant or a rant with Zuby, where I just rant about something off topic and hope you all enjoy the little segment here. And now it's time for Zuby's rant. Hey everyone and welcome to the first edition of Zuby Rants. This is going to be a completely off-topic rant. It's not going to be magic related majority of the time. And this is just going to be something I want to get off my chest. And I don't have anywhere else to get it off my chest. So here we go. I recently watched a video about Dragon Ball Z. And just, just so everybody knows, I've been watching the Dragon Ball anime all over again from the very beginning of Dragon Ball, then I'm going to make my way through Dragon Ball Z, then Dragon Ball Super. GT, get the fuck out of here. All right, so I was watching one of those what-if videos of Dragon Ball Z on YouTube. I happened to stumble across it. I don't even know how I found it. And one of the what-ifs was, what if Goku was never born or if Goku never came to Earth? And it talked about how, and they the guy only mentioned Dragon Ball Z to begin with, which that was the first mistake. And he basically, his argument for if Goku was never born or never arrived at Earth, Earth would be way better off. How? Because the Saiyans would never arrive on Earth. Um, you know, Cell and Androids would have never come and destroyed the Earth. Majin Buu never would have been awakened. And the whole thing is he completely forgot and neglected to even talk about Dragon Ball. And if you don't remember in Dragon Ball, if it wasn't for Goku at all, the Earth would have been completely screwed. It would have been a completely different picture. So let's start from the beginning. If Goku had never come to Earth or had never been born at all, Emperor Pilaf would have been ruling the world. Because if you don't remember in the first, what is it, 10 to 15 episodes of Dragon Ball, Emperor Pilaf was very close to summoning the dragon and pretty much wishing for world domination. So if Goku had never been born or never gotten to Earth, Bulma and Yamcha and Puar and Oolong, well, actually, Bulma may not have ever met Oolong or Puar, or she may have been captured by Oolong. And or maybe been captured by Yamcha, however it may be. So so let's just assume that Pila that Bulma, Yamcha, Oolong, and Poirot still meet up. They're still looking for the Dragon Balls, but they get captured by Emperor Pilaf. Yamcha is not strong enough at all to defeat 
or destroy the walls of Emperor Pilaf when they get captured in that one room, and then Goku becomes a monkey and then destroys the, you know, his palace. So Emperor Pilaf rules the world. Okay, we're also forgetting about something else that Goku completely dismantled and destroyed the entire Red Ribbon Army. The Red Ribbon Army would have still been around if Emperor Pilaf did succeed in his wish in ruling the world. Most likely, we can assume that Emperor Pilaf would have utilized the Red Ribbon Army in some way. So let's just say for argument's sake, Emperor Pilaf, his army is the Red Ribbon Army. Okay, Emperor Pilaf is ruling the world and using the Red Ribbon Army as his might. There is no one on earth that would have been able to stop them. Could Master Roshi have stopped them? Yes, it is possible. It is possible that Master Roshi could have stopped them. And also Ten Shinhan and Chao Su and will maybe Krillin because Krillin may have still been trained under Master Roshi. So let's just say they stopped him. They stopped uh, the Red Ribbon Army and somehow they managed to stop Pilaf. Because we got to remember Pilaf, as crappy as a bad guy he may have been later on in the series, we got to remember he was also a technological genius too that had, you know, flying fortresses, flying robots and all that stuff. Really cool stuff in the world of Dragon Ball. Okay, so let's just say Master Roshi, Krillin, Tenshin Han, Chao Su, for argument's sake, they managed to stop the Red Ribbon Army. And let's just say Pilaf gets super desperate and goes and finds the Denshi Jar, which houses Piccolo Diamo or King Piccolo or Demon Piccolo, Demon King Piccolo, whichever you want to call it. I'm used to calling him Piccolo Diamo. Okay, so Pilaf still unleashes Piccolo Diamo upon the world. If that does happen, there is no one on earth as it stands that would have been able to stop Piccolo Daimo except for Mr. Popo and Kamisama. They were the only two on the entire planet who had enough strength and power to stop Piccolo Daimo. But as we know in Dragon Ball, as the series progressed and as Goku actually met Kamisama, he decided not to interfere with mortals at all. So he basically let Pic Piccolo Daimo wreak havoc and so let's just say for argument's sake that piccolo daimo is still unleashed on the world there is no one at a master roshi krillin tenshinhan chaosu none of them would have been able to beat tambourine or symbol well there is also yajirobe um which which symbol is the one that yajirobe eats tambourine no one would have been able to beat tambourine none of them are strong enough so right there Piccolo Daimo basically would have taken over the world unless eventually Mr. Popo and Kamisama stopped him. So let's just say for argument's sake, again, Kamisama steps in and stops Piccolo. Um, I don't know exactly how he's going to do it. He can't exactly kill him because Kamisama will also die. Uh, let's just say he kills him and Piccolo Jr. is born. Well, Piccolo Jr., a.k.a. the Piccolo we all know and love, There'd be absolutely no one to stop him once again for trying to take over the world, even though Goku does stop him and then Tenkaichi Budokai tournament. Um, so, yeah. And let's just say we get onto the Dragon Ball Z era of time. Uh, the, Saiyan, the Saiyans probably wouldn't land right away, but eventually Frieza is going to send someone to planet Earth to get it prepared to sell or to buy or take over and enslave or he may have heard well no no because he wouldn't have found out about the dragon balls because he doesn't find out about the dragon balls until uh vegeta and nappa are on planet earth so but eventually freeze is going to find that planet and at that time before goku even goes super saiyan even beerus from dragon ball super claims that frieza was the most powerful person in the universe next to Beerus and Whis. So, eventually Freeze is going to find the planet and take it over or destroy it. End of story. So, all I have to say to that person who made that video of uh, that if Goku was never born or never came to Earth, Earth would have been a lot better off. Wrong. He wouldn't. If it wasn't for Goku... Piccolo Daimo would have taken over the world and then eventually someone from Frieza's gang, either one of the Saiyans or someone else, would have come and destroyed Earth or taken it over and enslaved it. So, that's my rant. And this has been a Zuby rant.
So as I mentioned earlier on in the show, I usually don't like to talk about spoilers too much. Um, never really been a big fan of talking about them, but you know what? Here goes with how big these spoilers were. You can't not talk about them. I mean, come on. Uh, so we're going to talk about Commander 2017 spoilers first, and let's just go over... Well, let me first go over the cards that we already have heard of and know that were spoiled because they're just reprints. So it looks like someone got their hands on a bunch of Commander 2017 spoilers, and it looks like it was mainly from the Dragon Tribal deck that is going to be in Commander 2017. And I can't remember if I even talked about it on the show, but Commander 2017 is going to be tribal-themed. And now it seems like we definitely know one of the themes or one of the tribes is going to be dragons. So the cards that were leaked that have already been printed that are reprints, and I'm pretty excited about some of these, even though I have, I, I did make a dragon deck at one point, and I have all these dragons already because I love dragons. But I'm pretty excited to see some of these reprinted because, you know what, it doesn't hurt to have second copies of these. So, a Tarker World Render, Bladewing the Risen, Broodmate Dragon, Croesus the Purger, Crucible the Spirit Dragon, Dromoka the Eternal, Haven of the Spirit Dragon. I like that Haven is coming back. Uh, Intent the Dreamer, Kolagon the Storm's Fury, Niv Mezit the Firemine, Ojitai Soul of Winter, Scion of the Ur Dragon, which is great that got reprinted. Oh my gosh. Silumgar the Drifting Death, Spellbound Dragon, Steel Hellkite, Tyrant's Familiar. So if Haven of the Spirit Dragon is coming back, does that mean Ugin is going to come back? Because if we look at Haven of the Spirit Dragon, when you pay two generic mana and sack it, return target dragon creature card or Ugin Planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. Why reprint that card if you're not going to have Ugin with you as well? Which, if Ugin gets reprinted in this set... That is fantastic because I think right now it's going for, what, 30 40 bucks? Because that card, I loved Ugin in Standard. Oh my gosh, that card was phenomenal. Come on, TCG player, don't be a pain in the ass right now. Come on. Ugin the Spirit Dragon. I'm looking it up right now. And, you know, I know there's this thing called editing. I don't care for it. Um, yeah, Ugin is going for almost about 30 bucks right now if you were to buy it moderately played. So if that got a reprint, that would be fantastic. That would be awesome. Um, not that I'm saying it needs a reprint, but it would just it would just be awesome. I, I mean, I don't even I don't think I have a place. I think I've got three. I know I definitely have three. But um yeah, it would just be awesome. So it, like I said, it makes you wonder why, why would they even reprint Haven of the Spirit Dragon if they weren't going to do Ugin? Uh, some of the other ones I was happy to see was Niv Mezit the Firemine. Uh, loved seeing Sign of the Ur Dragon. I will say I'm a little disappointed, but I guess I kind of understand because they can't have too many mythics in a deck. Is that they didn't reprint the Dragon Lords from Dragons of Tarkir? You know. Dragonlord, Atarka, um, Kolagon, Silumgar, Ojatai, all those. And um, like I said, maybe they're limited by how many mythics they can do in a deck for these pre-cons. But, I mean, some of these, the Atarka, Kolagon, Silumgar, they are still good cards by themselves. But it would still be cool to see the Dragonlords. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Um, so yeah, those are the cards that that have been spoiled, that have already seen prints, and these are all reprints, which is really cool. Um, so let's discuss the cards that are not exactly reprints. These are some of the new ones. So let's first talk about Taigum Ojitai Master, who is could be one of your commanders, a legendary creature human monk. Instant sorcery and dragon spells you control can't be countered by spells or abilities. Right away, what? N not even not even counting the dragon spells can't be countered. Your instant and sorcery spells can't be countered. What? That is awesome. All you need to do is get this guy out, put on lightning boots or lightning greaves or um swift foot swift 
Swiftfoot Boots. I don't know why I can't say that name fast. Swiftfoot Boots. Swiftfoot Boots. Swiftfoot Boots. I don't know. I sound Canadian now. What the fuck? Um, so that first part of the card, really awesome. You And it would be very easy to protect him as well once he's out. You just put some boots on him. There you go. I'm not going to fucking say the names. Um, but the second car, the second part is pretty cool too. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand, if Tigum Ojitai Master attack this turn, that spell gains rebound. You exile the spell as it resolves, and at the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast that card from exile without paying its mana cost. What? That's awesome. That's just simply awesome. I mean, this deck, since it's blue-white, would scream wanting Narset Transcendent in this. Um, and I don't even know. There, there's. It's just really awesome commander. Uh, it makes me almost excited to want to build around him. But you would get some of the weaker dragons, white and blue. I mean, you would have Dragonlord Ojitai, of course. But Dragonlord Ojitai is not that great in commander. I mean, maybe a 1v1 commander, it'd be fine, but in eh, multiplayer in a pod, eh, not going to be the greatest. But like I said, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, the next card that got spoiled, another commander, is Ramos or Ramos Dragon Engine. It's a legendary artifact creature dragon. So it has flying. It is a 4-4. It costs six generic mana. Whenever you cast a spell... Put a plus one, plus one counter on Ramos or Ramos Dragon Engine for each spell of that spell's color. What? That's awesome. So if you cast a spell that's, I don't know, if you cast a five color spell, which this dragon is technically all five colors, which I will talk about in a second here, cast a five color spell, oh, you put five one, one counters on it. That's amazing. That's awesome. Really cool ability. I like that. The second part of the card, remove five 1-1 one, one counters from Ramos, add to your mana pool, a.k.a. add two white, two blue, two black, two red, two green to your mana pool, activate this ability only once each turn. So, hey, he's got 20 uh, 1-1 one, one counters. Okay, so on my opponent's, opponent's one, opponent one's turn, remove five counters, oh, and play something, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, same with opponent two and opponent three. Boom. Awesome. I mean, that I that that's just exciting now. Would I personally build around him? No, I wouldn't. But I'm sure there's going to be someone out there that's going to find a way to break him. And I can't wait to see that deck. That's what I'm excited about. The next card here is, I'm probably going to butcher this name. And it's Okagachi Vengeful Kami. It is a one generic white, blue, black, red, green mana. It's a legendary creature dragon spirit. Interesting. It has flying and trample. It's a 6-6. Six, six. Whenever Okagachi Vengeful Kami deals combat, ba combat, damage, combat damage to a player, if that player attacked you during his or her last turn, exile target non-land permanent that can... Exile target non-land permanent that player controls. Fuck, I can't talk, can I? No, not at all. Um, interesting. Uh, I mean, not sure how I feel about it. It doesn't seem to be that great. Um, because you would have to just mainly focus on a player that attacked you your last turn. And if no one attacks you, then that, that card kind of just goes... You know, I mean, I don't know if I would put this card as my main commander, but I would definitely th probably definitely put him in the 99 cards, though, because uh, I mean, actually, I don't know. Would I? Eh, probably not. I mean, out of all the cards that I've talked about so far, that one seems the most meh. You know, this next one here, though, seems pretty cool. And that is the Ur-Dragon. But it is expensive as hell to play. It is four generic mana. And then the Wooburg. Which is white, blue, black, red, green. It's a legendary creature dragon avatar. Has eminence. 
As long as the Ur Dragon is in the command zone or on the battlefield, other dragon spells you cast cost one less to cast. What? So this almost has like an Aloro effect where no matter where it's at in the command zone or in the battlefield, your dragons are going to be cheaper to play. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. I I think I almost want to rebuild my dragon deck just because of this guy. Instead of having Scion of the Ur Dragon, just have the Ur Dragon. I, I think I am going to build my dragon deck again. Reading this? Yes, I think I am. And whenever one or more dragons you control attack, draw that many cards, then you may put a permanent card from your hand onto your battlefield. Onto the battlefield. What? I mean... Let's just be real here, folks. This is the star of the dragon tribe here. Scion of the Ur-Dragon, you're really good. I like you. You can draw through my deck and get a dragon, become a copy of it, and boom. Really awesome. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying you don't do a good job, Scion, all right? But the Ur-Dragon, which is probably your baby daddy here, you know, he, he's a little bit better. He is way more expensive to play, so but you're going to have to have nine mana just to be able to cast him. Um, but, yeah, it, when, when he is in play, and whenever one of your other dragons attack, draw that many cards, you know, and put a permanent card from your hand on the battlefield. This, this is just... I love it. I love it here, folks. I'm serious. I think I'm going to rebuild my dragon deck. And, yeah, have it be the Ur-Dragon which, you know, everybody else is going to do. I know this, but, you know, I'm going to enjoy it. I think I will for sure. So out of all the cards so far, that has been my favorite. But we're not done here, folks. We've got la one last Commander 2017 spoiler that I haven't talked about yet. And that is Wasitora Nekoru Queen. Nekoru, which is a cat dragon. What? what? That's just weird. A cat dragon? I mean... I know Watsy lately, it feels like they've been obsessed with cats, and I love cats too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we had the cat snake in Almond Cat. I mean, that was really cool. But a cat dragon? Okay. I mean, it's funny. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see what it does. It's two generic mana, black, red, green, and it has whenever Wasitora Nakuru Queen deals combat damage to a player that player sacrifices a creature if the player can't you create a 3-3 black red green cat dragon creature token with flying meh it's okay i mean it may make the 99 cards in my deck because it is a flying trample 5-4 for five that's not bad really but meh i, I don't i can't see this being a general though for me being my main commander, it definitely not. So out of all of them, yeah, the Ur Dragon, you're my baby daddy, all right, boy. You you're coming with me. You're coming with me. You're gonna be my general, all right. So let's get on to some. So that though, before we get into our devastation, that was all the Commander 2017 spoilers, and I mean there was this whole big hubbub about oh who spoiled them, Watsy can't control the leaks, blah blah blah. And you know what? Oh, well, shit happens. I mean, yeah, it spoils how Watsy can spoil the cards and all that stuff. But, you know, whatever. Shit happens. So, let's talk about some Hour of Devastation leaks. Yeah. Um, there's only three of them, so it's not going to be as long as the Commander one. First up is a card that has me really intrigued to see if this is going to be standard playable. Now, I'm not sure if it is going to be. Because of the tremendous drawback it has. But it can be very interesting. And it's it's got me excited. It's got me a little bit of excited. So these leaks were spoiled. Or these leaks were accidentally leaked by Watsy themselves. Because I guess on their French version of their website. They accidentally spoiled three cards here. So the first one is called Bantu's Last Reckoning. And... Let me just read what it does. It destroys all creatures. It's a sorcery. Lands you control don't untap during your next untap step. So that is a huge drawback. But the cost of it, one generic and two black. We have a three mana wrath here. With a huge drawback though. Lands you control don't untap during your next untap step. So you basically, it's almost like an exerted card. Pretty much like an exerted spell. The man, 
that that's just really tough. Now I can see this being good late game, mid to late game when you've already got about six plus lands out and you only have to tap out, you know, for three mana and wipe the board. You know, that's fine where you still have some mana to be able to counter something. Okay, that's fine. Um, now, is this going to be standard playable? I have no idea because this is such a big drawback. I mean, we've got the five mana wraths like Fumigate, uh, Descend Upon the Sinful, which is six. Um, there's, you know, we got Gehenny's Expertise, which is three mana, but that, that's sort of like a crappier languish, though. But, I mean, this so far is a three mana wrath. We don't even have a four mana wrath at all. And this is... I don't know. I, I, I'm going to be curious to see where this card goes in the future as standard. My gut tells me not much of anywhere right away. But I personally, I want to see more play of it because it's really interesting. And I love the drawback. It's it, it The card design of it is really awesome. And it just, it's like, as soon as you, it really... Oh, I mean, I don't, I, I can't get my thoughts out all the way, but um, just when you think wizards can't come up with something interesting for card design, they create something like Bantu's Last Reckoning, and it's like, wow, okay, it's a really good spell with a tremendous bigly. I don't have any problems down there. Drawback. So, all right, our next one is the plane one of the planeswalkers of the set there i think there's only going to be two planeswalkers of the set and that is samut the tested or samut or samut or samut i don't know how to say it it is a two generic red green planeswalker her plus one ability she starts off with four loyalty by the way her plus one ability up to one target creature gains double strike until end of turn she has a negative two ability where Samet the Tested deals two damage divided as you choose among one or two target creatures and or players. The negative seven, the alt ability, search your library for up to two creatures and or planeswalker cards, put them onto the battlefield and shuffle your library. Right off the bat, um, just in terms of standard play, not that exciting. Maybe in like an ultra aggro deck? Like a red-green energy deck, maybe a sideboard or something. But Arlen Cord would almost be better still in red-green energy if you were going to go that way. Because Arlen Cord can at least create you another creature. I mean, it is great that Samet can give a creature double strike until end of turn. But the thing with Arlen Cord is if you were to... Her plus one is until end of turn up to one target creature gets plus two plus two and gains vigilance and haste. That's way better than what Samet can do. So I, I don't know about this. I, so far, right off the bat, it tells me, yeah, it's not going to see much standard play. But you know where it will see play in Commander? Uh, Atraxa Super Friends. This is a definite right here. You know, the all the double counter effect crap. Um, and, you know, get that negative seven out of the way and get more Planeswalker cards out on the battlefield, you know, but other than that, yeah, I don't see this seeing much, um, standard play right now. The next Planeswalker card, and if you've been following the Almond Cut storyline, you probably know who this Planeswalker card is, and that is Nicobolus, God Pharaoh. And I have to say, before I even read the abilities, this Planeswalker card, just to hype it up a little bit, way better than the original Nicobolus Planeswalker card. And I'm not just exaggerating that. This is way better than the other Nicobolus card. So let me start off here. It costs four generic blue, black, red. Grixis Colors Classic. Um, and I think it's actually cheaper than the other Nicobolus card. I mean, just in casting cost alone. Uh, yeah, it is because the original Nicobolus costs eight. This one costs seven and cause I know how to count. Um, and so like I said, right away, love it better. And it comes with so much loyalty right off the bat too. seven loyalty. So when you play this sucker, he's going to be hard to kill right away unless you counter it. Um, so his 
plus two ability, target opponent exiles cards from the top of his or her library until he or she exiles a non-land card. Until end of turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. What? That's insanity. That's awesome. I mean, if you're... Hopefully, it'd be really cool if your opponent is playing a heavily land-based deck. Even even if not, you know, it's... Oh my gosh, it's so awesome. Let's say you're playing against blue-red control and you manage to snag one of your opponent's torrential gear hulks. Or, oh, look... You manage to snag one of your opponent's Marvels or Ulamogs. Awesome. Just simply awesome. See, this is the card I was talking about where Aetherworks Marvel may put Nicol Bolas in their deck just to be like, oh, turn four Nicol Bolas? Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> God, that would not be fun. Um, because his plus one ability, he's got four abilities here. His plus one ability, yeah, is not much fun either. But it's going to be awesome when you when you do it against someone plus one each opponent exiles two cards from his or her hand what um let's just say you have exactly two cards in your hand yeah nickel bowl has just destroyed those cards bye bye see you later oh god ah it's so awesome but it's also it's gonna induce a lot of nightmares when i play against this which i know i will so his first negative ability, negative four, Nicol Bolas, God Pharaoh, deals seven damage to target opponent or creature and opponent controls. So, you can have this deal seven damage right off the bat as soon as it lands to your opponent's face or to opponent's creature. Watsy must want to create a lot of grief because I know I'm going to build this. I, 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 okay. You know, after reading this card, I think I may take it back. I don't know if I want to do green, black energy anymore. I think I want to do Grixis control now. I think I'll stick with blue, red control and then do Grixis. Yeah. Cause I'll get some nickel, nickel boluses here. Um, and his ultimate ability just, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not the greatest ult, but it's a really, really good ult if you get it up that high. Because let's see, let's see if you do the plus two first turn to go up to nine, then 10, 11, 12, So by the fourth time it being out, I can do the ult if you just did nothing but the plus two. So negative twelve, exile each non-land permanent your opponent can your opponents control. Holy shit! Okay, I thought it just said opponent your opponents. That is going to make EDH ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. May the God Pharaoh return swift swiftly and may we be found worthy. All right. I am worshiping the fuck out of you, Nicobolus. All right. God damn. So those are the hour, hour of devastation spoilers. <laughs> that card is going to be ridiculous in standard. Let's make control great again, okay? We are going to make it great once more. And there you go. There you have it. Those were the spoilers, so we're pretty much at the end of the episode now. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, what did you think of the episode? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Um, did you even listen to it? If you didn't listen to it, how would you know if I'm asking if you didn't listen to it? Huh? Uh, I don't think that works. I don't think that analogy works. But if you want to get a hold of me or anything, you want to send me an email, send me an email at mtgzubi at gmail.com. I'm also reachable on Twitter at magicwithzubi. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash magicwithzubi. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, podcastradionetwork.net every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. We are also on Gunna Geek Network at GunnaGeek.com. And yeah, that is about it. So I hope you guys liked the episode and, you know, let me know your thoughts on it. And yeah, have a great night, everybody. Okay. <laughs>